Hello, this is uh, Philippe Robert. I'm uh, leading the uh, client relations here at, uh, at the Kusnak practice. We are reinventing the experience of care. And today we have with us Melissa Nobile, our psychologist. Hello, Melissa. Hi, Philippe. <laughs> we are actually uh, discussing a topic which, is, uh, which has been very much on the rise in eating and body image disorders linked to the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you very much for taking the time to answer those questions. So the first one that pops up in, uh, in my mind is the referrals of young people with eating disorders for NHS treatments are shot up by almost half last year in England, according to the government data, with doctors warning that lives are being ruined. And there were close to 20,000 referrals of under 18s with eating disorders to the NHS funded secondary mental health services in 2020 a rise of about 46%. So these are big numbers, which indicate that the anxiety caused by the uh, pandemic uh, manifests itself in a number of different ways, doesn't it? So, Lisa, how do you, how do you explain this? You're going to get used to me saying this, I think, but I always say, oh, it's complex. Oh, yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, we, we do believe it's complex. That's why we have you as an expert to, so, to help us today. So it's complex. It's the result of, um, I know in this, in your question, you said the link between anxiety and eating disorders. Um, that's one of them. That's one of many. My second question would be, well, what's causing the anxiety that's behind? Right. Um, that's all the job of a psychologist or psychiatrist to figure out, by the way. Um, but it it's sounds a complex like I'm asking dynamic. complex questions too, right? <laughs> it's fine. I like it. But yes, with the pandemic, off the top of my head, examples of factors that could contribute would be that individuals who maybe people lost their jobs, uh, maybe people had relationship uh, problems that were more difficult to handle because they were in closer proximity. And in addition to that, it was harder to access support. So you can go see your friends, you can go do your sports, etc. So loads of different factors. There was also a huge contributor in, in my professional opinion, because I've observed it during the first lockdown, especially. And that was that social media, there was this big message about needing to um, look after your body, Personal training online became a huge thing. On Instagram, it was a lot of, you know, the, the use this time to get in shape, get in the kitchen, etc. And obviously eating disorders, I mean, they go hand in hand with how you perceive your, your, your body image. And so individuals a lot started dieting during that time or they started working out to, you know, I'm just going to aim at this body. But very quickly for some of them, there's a loss in control over the process and they get stuck in a cycle, maybe dieting or exercising or both. Or I'm going to lose weight a little bit more quickly so that when lockdown's over, I'll look better. <laughs> and before you know it, you're in an eating disorder and you're stuck in a pattern oh, of restricting, binging. Yeah. I think that would be one factor. And then I think never to, to forget that all these symptoms, whether it's an eating disorder or a major depressive disorder or agoraphobia or whatever it is, they exist in the context of a broad environment and someone's life story. And I think of a client I had recently who was uh, 16 years old and who came with an eating disorder that had developed during the pandemic. And I worked with the family in a family setting in this situation. And by asking questions, um, we quickly realized that 
so, so this teenager was going to boarding school before the pandemic. There was some problems at school with bullying, wasn't having great grades, came back home in the pandemic and experienced that as a safe safe place. All these things were discussed in therapy. They had never been discussed together as a family. And as soon as the lockdown was coming to an end, this um, this teenager was starting to develop eating disorder symptoms. In his case, it was anorexia. So he was really, really restricting. Um, his BMI dropped quite low, quite quickly. Um, and so he stayed home, didn't go back to boarding school, got stabilized during the summer. And then in September, when it was time to go back to boarding school, the symptoms started again. And we could see in this context and exploring all these questions with the family and, and the youth, how these symptoms actually uh, of the eating disorder, they allowed this, this youth to not go back to boarding school and, and stay home in the safety of the family. And that was something that completely unconscious, it's dynamics that come into place. And once that was addressed, we could work differently and the symptoms faded away actually really quite quickly because we discussed, okay, how how do we stay in a relationship of, as a family when we're not living together? And we could talk about loads of questions and the, we didn't even talk that much about the anorexia. And now that person is, is, is doing already, I think, a lot better. So the reason I give that example from my clinical practice is really to illustrate how it's complex and the job that we do at the Kirsten practice or as psychologists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists is to understand for each family, for each individual, what are the contributing factors um, that explain why it is that you specifically are having an eating disorder um, with general traits like anxiety to come back to, to the question you asked. Fascinating because uh, for two reasons. That number one, uh, the conjunction of factors that you're explaining is not just coming along as a, an eating disorder, there's an underlying cause of it. And the uh, conjunction of those factors is still to be analyzed to precisely understand where it's coming from, is my first uh, learning mm -hmm. listening to you. And the second learning listening to you is actually how close this is to the program that we are running with the boarding schools here in Switzerland that we now yes. plan to expand to the rest of Europe because we've come to realize that this impact and of kids going back to their homes and not being able to go back to school or, or having that eating disorder being a reflection of the, their insecurity is, is just such a, a vivid uh, reality that we're living as we're discussing with those schools. Thank you very much for connecting those. So with the next question is, uh, is really around the signs that the family and the friends should look out in the loved ones when they suspect that they may be suffering from a body image um, issues or, or eating disorders. How, how would you advise then the families to be aware of those sick pre, pre forthcoming signals? I should, so, I say. sure, I'll list the, the main signals or main signs to look out for. And before listed, listing them, I'll also add so that some families don't feel guilty that they develop in a very secretive way. So it's not always that easy to notice them as a family, but keep your eyes open for changes around the general behavior around food. So someone who's skipping meals, someone who's eating a lot in the bedroom and didn't used to do that. Some, someone who's suddenly eating a lot less than before uh, or eliminated food groups suddenly. Someone who's um, going to the bathroom after each meal, actually, that's purging behavior and someone who's spending a lot of time in front of the mirror we'd be more in the body image problematics and someone who's hiding food in the pockets maybe anything that shows you that there's a complicated relationship with with 
with food and the body um, would be signs to look out for and, and the various and people with eating disorders also get very creative with them. Yeah, I, I was about to ask. I mean, this is this is the kind of creativity that we, of course, it's a very uh, serious disorder. So we are not making uh, any any anything funny out of this, but it's 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 impressive to see how creative people can be with that, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, you'll have. Uh, I've seen in um, when when I was meal monitoring clients, cutting very small pieces of food and hiding them between the broccoli and other meat and. It, that's why I say it's actually not that easy to spot them. But what you will see, depending on the eating disorder, um, is the weight that you'll see it. Sudden drop in weight, very worrying gain of weight. You can question it. It can also be for medical and lots of other reasons too. And I'm tempted to add that the family that lives close to the, uh, to the person of concern uh, doesn't see that evolution because it's a slight evolution. It's a very, very very continuous evolution. It's not like from one day to the next. I mean, it's gradually, it, yes. and it's, it's basically that story of that, that pan with the, the water in it. If you're putting a frog with, with in, in cold water or if you're putting it in boiling water, that's, like, yes. that's, that's a kind of difference you see, right? Yes, it's very insidious, small changes day to day. What I tell families who ask that type of question or the calling the practice because they want to have a bit of information, could he be having an eating disorder? Other than to ask the question directly, it could be to organize a meal and see how the where it's an invitation and see how the person reacts. If they come and eat everything and it's normal interactions, then I wouldn't say be completely reassured, but it gives you some information. If the person says, oh, well, I'll come after the meal, or, oh, I have a meal last minute planned at the same time, but I'll drop by right before. I'd be more worried because those are pretty typical signs that the person's avoiding being seen around food. Mm, that's, a, that's a very, very not, good insight. Not to you. trick the, your loved one, but simply to, to gain information. And again, the best thing is always to, to ask. But we're coming to the conclusion to the, to the fact that basically people living closest to the person of concern may not be able to see that difference. So you, you, yeah. you, you're completely uh, on this line. And this mm -hmm. is really, it's a, it's a striking reality because I would have thought that people that would be closest to the person of concern would be actually able to spot it from a distance. But what we, you're telling us is that actually it's more like a friend that would come every other, every other month that would be able to say, oh my God, you've, you've put on changed. weight. Or, mm -hmm. right? Whereas people living close to that person of yeah. concern and, may not. And sometimes nobody at all, because it's a lot of obsessions also in the head and it's a whole um, process in the mind of the person. Sometimes the body doesn't change shape at all. And I gave that as the obvious sign, but sometimes even that one, we don't pick up on it and um, it's not easy. Okay, I'm not throwing difficult questions at you, but <laughs> it's a passion we have in common on this subject. So another study that I found I was showing that anxiety and stress is directly linked to COVID-19 is causing a number of body image issues among not only women, but also men. The research, the research uh, led by Professor Viren Swamy of Anglia Ruskin University, the, known as the ARU, and published in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences involved 506 UK adults with an average age of 34 among women and the study found that feelings of anxiety and stress caused by COVID-19 were associated with greater desire for thinness. 
Among the male participants, the study found that COVID-19-related anxiety and stress was associated with greater desire for muscularity and anxiety also associated with body fat dissatisfaction. Melissa, how common are such disorders in men and have you seen a rise in such cases in cosmetic practice? And would you, would you be able to tell us what would be that projection on women too? Sure. So first, I'm really glad that we're talking about eating disorders in men because it's a fairly recent topic. And that's, and I'll explain more how you see the influence of cultural factors. When I said it's complex, it's biology, psychology, and social factors, well, there's also cultural and how culture also shapes eating disorders and other uh, mental health conditions because men, uh, there are men with anorexia. Anorexia, for, for those who are listening who, who may not know, it's really a, a pattern of restricting food and having a, a weight that's way below what it should be. So we're talking BMI of... BMI that's uh, below, below 20, yeah, below 18 and get worried already that we're going somewhere there and then in men we see anorexia too but now we call it reverse anorexia or muscle dysmorphia which is not an obsession with being thin which is a very uh, more of a women eating disorder not to say again that there's not men for men it's this obsession with have being as lean as possible so really as much much muscle as possible. So where someone with anorexia will restrict most food groups and they'll eat very little and become very thin. Someone with reverse anorexia, so more men, but again, not to eliminate that some women also fall into that. Um, they will eat a lot of proteins and they'll eliminate maybe sugar, carbs, and but they'll eat protein every meal, nothing else for prolonged periods of times with the idea of, again, being lean, 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 etc. Um, but muscle. Muscled, yeah. So just yeah. muscles on skin. Exactly. That's a very, very precise description yeah. of, of, of the situation. Yeah, it's exactly what um, what we see in more, more frequently in male eating disorders. And it goes a lot more noticed, which is why we talk a lot less about it because a man that's very muscular, we don't see it necessarily as problematic in our society. A woman that's very thin, there's this message where, well, in publicities, it's very thin women, models, but if you're also anorexic, so you'll go to treatment. But men, we won't send them to treatment as easily. So they don't have the same access to healthcare all the time, which isn't supportive of, of these people either. But if we look at the process behind the level of obsession around food and the suffering is immense for both, it's, it's exactly the same process behind, but it just manifests itself in different behaviors. Um, so that was a small world, world on, word sorry, on, uh, on the impact on men since you asked, because I thought it was very interesting to talk about it. and. Uh, we, we see a lot in, in um, bodybuilders. That's a population with a lot of eating disorders. And then at the Kirsnot practice, I can't really pronounce myself if, if we saw a rise specifically in eating disorders, but we work very integratively in the sense that people may come to us um, with a specific problematic, but we work on the mind, we work on the body, we work with, with nutrition on so many different aspects 
do we anyway always address this question around food and nutrition and often um, we discover quite a lot of things actually in the relationship to the body and whether it's disordered or not for a lot of clients we actually do some work on that too to improve that relationship with themselves um, for the quality of life overall quality of life and then in the same vein the research also indicated that it wasn't only fears around the virus itself which had contributed to serious mental health issues but the restrictions and the lockdowns that have been brought in to combat it so in in your opinion melissa how big are factors like isolation and curb movement and socializing in case of body image and, and eating disorders? I think that f depends on the person. Um, some people love isolation and have no problem with it. Some people even seek it. They'll go camping in the middle of nowhere to be sure to be unreachable. For some, it's very difficult. Um, so I think, like I explained at the beginning, what's an interactions of many factors. For some, it will come into play that being isolated doesn't give them perhaps access to some support or makes them feel anxious or isolated and lonely, which is not the case for everyone. Some are isolated and not lonely. And all that is going to be some of these many factors, more of the psychological factors, actually, in these big pictures of, of, of all the things that can lead someone to develop a, a problematic relationship with the body and food. And finally, to close this interview, what advice do you give to someone who believes that may be suffering from such disorders? Actually, my first advice would be to try and have three meals a day. There's lots of different eating disorders. We didn't go into that today, but most have in common that meals are either eliminated food groups or skipped or too much, etc. Try to have three small meals a day and that could be a first step and, and experiment, see what happens. If that's very difficult, or if the obsessions are really taking over your life, my only advice really would be to seek professional help because you can get out of it. There's, there's, there's help available and it's not easy to get out of these eating disorders alone. And with the Curse Not Practice, for example, we do what we call personalized medicine, where we really look into not one diet fits all, because that just doesn't work. And as I said earlier, with the lockdown influences, diet usually set you up for failure because you'll restrict and then you'll end up binging and for some they get lost in this cycle. And there are places like here, the Curse Not Practice, where we do this personalized nutrition medicine, where we, where we look at what's, what your body actually needs and it will help you reach some goals, will help you recover from these obsessions, etc. but in a way that doesn't create suffering and that will really allow you to, to lead a happy life again. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that's, that's the goal, right? It's that you're freed from this a disorder that's eating, eating away uh, uh, your whole life, um, which is how people truly experience it. They, they, they become isolated and, and lonely and just prisoner from these obsessions. Well, this is a great way to conclude this interview by talking about, you know, moving on to finding the best, your best way and your best life in, in this development and eating disorders certainly prevent uh, finding this this uh, this opportunity and I, I very much measure now what we're doing here at the Kusnak practice to achieve this. 
Thank you very much, Melissa, for being with us today. I will look forward to, because it's a really a very interesting topic. We have way more to discuss on eating disorders. Yes. So stay with us as we go along and there will be more forecasts to come. Thank, Thank you, you very again. much.